Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, Kitchen Chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am truly so delighted you're joining me virtually here in my Chicagoland kitchen. And thank you for keeping in touch via Facebook on Kitchen Chat and on at McSweeney, my Twitter feed, and Instagram, Margaret McSweeney. It's so wonderful to hear from you and, and hear about your culinary journeys. And thank you so much for joining me on my culinary journey each week. As as many of you know, it's a personal walk, and I'm discovering my late father's joy of cooking. My biggest regret in life was not going into the kitchen with him and learning how to cook. And, and this has just been such an emotional and fun culinary journey to discover that joy and to discover and learn all about food and, and recipes and cooking techniques. And so thank you. Please keep your questions and encouragement coming. And today, I am just beyond delighted and honored to introduce you to someone who truly needs no introduction, Tina Ulaki, who for 25 years has been with Food and Wine magazine. She is the executive food editor, a James Beard Award winner, just highly acclaimed and a true culinary expert. So Tina, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Thanks so much, Margaret. Happy to be here. Or there. Or everywhere. (laughs) Yes, everywhere. Thank you. And for November and December for this season, kind of the theme we're pursuing here on Kitchen Chat is building traditions for the holidays. And Food and Wine magazine has been part of everyone's tradition, I think, for the holidays. And and do you have some really special features coming up for, for this season? Of course we do. You know, we get so excited at the holidays because, um, you know, the holidays are there. November and December are our biggest issues ever, um, which means that the food department here gets really excited because we get to do more recipes than we do in any other issue. This year, for example, in our November issue, we have some things. Well, we have one thing that we've never done before. Our um, editor-in-chief has actually just written a book. Um, called Mastering My Mistakes, and um, she has been building new traditions in her family. Um, These are all, these are very, very simple, basic um, recipes that are maybe of the less ambitious sort. You know, we work with a lot of chefs throughout the year, um, especially during the holidays. We try to keep everything as accessible as we possibly can. So we have very, very basic menu um, from Dana, which is great, which she did with Chef Jonathan Waxman of Barbudo here in New York. He of the chicken fame, so he's turned his um, expertise to a larger bird. (laughs) Um, And then we have a great um, multi-culti Thanksgiving story with uh, Chef Marcus Samuelson. Yes. And I say multi-culti all in one person because, of course, he's a Ethiopian-born um, Swedish bread. Yeah. Um, 
And um, so we have some a really really fantastic um, Harlem Thanksgiving menu oh, uh, with him, nice. and then um, we have a huge celebration of um, artisans in this country across the country, hmm. um, artisans of all sorts. So um, you know, usually you just you think about people who make things, but we've included um, farmers and fishermen and cheesemakers and butchers. And we've gotten their special uh, recipes for the holidays. So we have some really, really, really fantastic um, recipes. And we also have some uh, fantastic stories about um, amazing, inspiring people who are doing really wonderful things with food. Oh, and that's what it's all about, bringing everything into the kitchen and celebrating food and the stories and creating taste memories, which is so very special, especially around the holidays and building those traditions. Now, Tina, do you have any special uh, traditions for the holidays with food? Oh, definitely. Um, you know, well, I grew up in a Hungarian family. Yes. Um, so a, a very small Hungarian family, like my parents and me. Um, and, well, we never celebrated Thanksgiving. So um, when I started my own family, I was like, okay, I have a lot to make up for. <laughs> so um, we have certain things that we do that are the same every year. I mean, they're never exactly the same, but, you know, we always have a turkey. We always hit all of the Thanksgiving ingredients, but sometimes we move them around. So sometimes well, we always, you know, we have to have pies. My daughter is now in charge of making the pies. When my kids were smaller, I made everything. Um, you know, now that they're grown, they have their things that they have to make, um, and it's totally their call whether, you know, I've made my certain pecan pie for I don't know how many years. I, I mean, I have to admit that most of my recipes either came directly from food and wine or were inspired <laughs> by food and wine sure. because, you know, I've had my all of the um, Thanksgivings I've had with my family. I've been working here. So we, you know, we usually start with the soup, but sometimes we start with the salad. Um, sometimes we dispense with the first course altogether because it's too many people and too many plates at the table, and we'll just do a host of hors d'oeuvres. Mm. So, um, you know, and we, um, you know, usually have one that's fish, and then we have things for the fish haters, so we'll have one <laughs> made with cheese and one that's vegetarian, and, you know, we... Um, fortunately, I don't have any um, friends who have very, very serious um, dietary restrictions, nor yes. family members, so I can sort of make whatever I want. But I basically make all of the traditional things, but I do different things with them every year. Like I was just looking at this cranberry mustarda that we did that's a nice twist on a uh, cranberry sauce that mm. has mustard seeds in it. And, of course, every chef on the planet is using mustard seeds with abandon this year. Ah. Um, <laughs> this happened to come from a butcher because it's a really wonderful condiment to meat. So I think I'll be making that instead of the cranberry sauce with uh, walnuts that I made last year. And, you know, I don't even remember what I made the year before. So, you know, I just, I look for, I look for new ways to treat the ingredients that I make, you know, year after year. Um, I think I might even make some candied bacon as a, as an appetizer. Ah. Um, because it was so easy to make. You can make it ahead and, um, you know, it's sweet and it's savory and it's 
just a little bit different. So that's yes. pretty great. Oh, how fun. And I just uh, recently interviewed Morgan Murphy, who has the new book, Bacon and Bourbon, out. Oh, uh-huh. so, <laughs> and my favorite it, things in the world. Yes, isn't it? A gr- and he's from my hometown in Alabama. It's just such a small world. So we had a fun chat. And, and I love how um, I, because listeners, I subscribe to Food and Wine. I have the digital version and it's great. It just comes into your inbox. It's just wonderful. And and I had a little sneak peek at the November issue, Tina, and I noticed there was a bourbon pecan pie. There certainly is. And not only is there a bourbon pecan pie, there are four iterations of a ah, bourbon pecan pie. Interesting. Um, because if, you know, some people, everybody makes their um, standard pecan pie with corn syrup. Yes. And um, we thought we would mix it up a little bit. And um, we went to the folks at uh, Back in the Day Bakery and um, had them create, um, I guess this is what they do. Anyway, they do a basic pecan pie, and then you can alter or swap out the sugar. So um, we did a traditional one. Um, We did it with um, sorghum syrup. We did a recipe with cane syrup. We did one with dark corn syrup to give it a little more, um, a deeper flavor than light corn syrup, Hmm. and one with honey. So, I mean, that was very interesting. We did them all at the same time so we could taste them all against each other. You know, it's all the same recipe, and you can just swap out one syrup for another if you want to change your game a little bit, but not so much that you're fussing with tradition. Right, and you're not changing the taste. So I'm curious, how did the taste test come out with those four options? Well, I... To my taste, the honey was a little too intense, hmm. but I um, maybe I'm not as much of a honey lover as I thought I was. You know, we love the sorghum. I didn't grow up with sorghum, so that's sort of new to me. It has mm-hmm. a slight tang to it. Cane syrup, I also didn't grow up with. So, um, you know, one of the great things here is you learn something every day. Um, so, you know, I really get to have these new experiences all the time. And I had never worked with corn, dark corn syrup either. So it definitely has a deeper flavor than light corn syrup. But they were all, you know, every single one of them was great in its own right. Oh, and that just, I'm already tasting Thanksgiving. <laughs> Having grown up in the South, pecan pie was always a staple <laughs> on the table. And what did you make it with? Or what did your family make uh, well, it Well, and that's the thing I wish I'd known because my dad was always in there cooking. <laughs> and I did not. Uh, I know, I know. I remember, um, I, I think there was that, uh, my, maybe it was sorghum. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. But I always remember my dad. I have such fond memories of that because I'd kind of be in and out of the kitchen, you know, I'd uh, help set the table and all that, of course, with, with Thanksgiving. And, and he'd always be putting so many different ingredients in the dressing. He had so much fun making the cornbread in the, um, the cast iron skillet. I kind of remember that. And, and then, well, uh, that's what I do. Oh, wow. I always he, make, I always, always make. That's the one thing that, it can change because I can make more than one stuffing or dressing. I can some years I've made two or three, and you know one was a bread pudding and one was cornbread and one was a standard bread one. Hmm. But I always have to make the cornbread one, otherwise my family would mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember one year going into the kitchen, you know, setting the table, and it, he was putting oysters in the dressing. 
Oh, that's very Southern and traditional. Yeah, so that was kind of a, a fun little, you just brought back those little memories. So thank you, Tina. That's <laughs> fun to, to see. And another very unique um, dish I noticed that you're featuring, and it, it also has some, some special meaning to me, is the red cabbage. Um. So when we were looking for uh, farmers to feature, I was like, oh, you know what? I went to this great restaurant, and, you know, we always love families, mm-hmm. um, especially during Thanksgiving, but we love families all the time. And, you know, they have this wonderful, wonderful farm. We actually have another farmer who's my favorite farmer at the farmer's market in, uh, you know, here in New York City, um, in Union Square, and we got to feature her recipes, too. But, you know, they did this very, very simple slaw that is perfect for Thanksgiving, actually. Because with all the um, cooked things that you end up having, you know, it's always nice on your plate to have something or maybe on a side plate if it's juicy, um, you know, to have something that's crunchy and that's refreshing and that's not cooked. Um, And also, you know, that's sort of vibrant red and, you know, can sort of match the color of a cranberry. Right. Because it's so, it's it's intriguing, Tina, because um, my husband is half Irish and half Danish. And my mother-in-law was first generation Danish and here in the Chicago area. And every holiday meal would include her cooked red cabbage. It was really well, interesting. I grew up in a Hungarian family, so um, every time we had pork, every time we had duck, um, we had cooked red cabbage, you know, basically cooked with um, red wine mm-hmm. and a little vinegar. Yes. So it doesn't, it doesn't look vibrant like this. You know, it gets that deep red purple almost mm-hmm. color to it. Um, but, and it has a really almost silky texture, whereas, you know, this is really, really crispy. It's, it really tastes like a slaw. Interesting. Um, okay. You know, one of the nice things about this is it takes, you know, literally minutes to put together, um, which it's always nice to have things that take minutes to put together when you're cooking <laughs> <Yes>. Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, I think that's one of the hardest things, actually, for um, cooks to remember. You know, when you're planning a holiday meal, I, you know, there are so many things to remember. First and most important thing is don't, you know, bite off more than you can chew and remember that there are other meals that people will be eating during the year. So you don't have to pack every single thing into Thanksgiving dinner. But it's always nice to have things that are very quick to prepare and things that you can prepare ahead. And, you know, you always have to think about how much oven space you have and how much stove space you have so that you can balance all of your tasks. Right. So that you don't find all, you know, at the last minute, you have nine things that have to go in the oven and have to be reheated simultaneously. Exactly. And the challenge is always finding that extra space in the refrigerator <laughs> to put everything into. That is so true. Now, in terms of the turkey, uh, it was interesting. I just had a chat with um, Russ Parsons, and he uh-huh. has a special recipe for this brining the turkey. And and, and I was just wondering if you have a special way to brine your turkey or how you kind of prep it for Thanksgiving. Well, I, um, you know, and I, I am very, very basic about the turkey because I feel like the turkey is just sort of there as the centerpiece. It's, you know, you have to have it on your plate because it's what you eat everything else with. Right. Um, 
So I, um, I'm lazy when it comes to the turkey. I usually put pancetta under the under the skin, and a whole bunch of herbs and onions inside. And um, you know, sometimes I put bacon on the outside instead of the pancetta, and then hmm. I just roast it. Um, and I make my gravy ahead. So I don't have to worry about taking the turkey out of the pan and making using the drippings. I make my gravy sometimes a week ahead. Oh. Um, you know, so I'll make stock and I'll you know I'll brown bones and make stock and cook it all the way down and then make a gravy and um, sometimes I even put it in the freezer um, if I'm really 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 organized. But last year I think we did um, it was great because we cooked a turkey four ways. We uh, deep fried a turkey. We dry brined it, which is um, rubbing it with salt and aromatics and letting it sit overnight um, or sometimes for two days just to um, to season the meat really, really well. Yes. Um, wet brining is awesome because you're pretty much guaranteed a juicy bird, mm-hmm. um, even if you tend to overcook it. And this very second, I can't remember what the last thing we did was, but... Um, I just heard uh, somebody, uh, my uh, boss's friend mentioned that he freezes the turkey breast. Hmm. Somehow he freezes the turkey breast side down so that the breast gets really, really cold so that when you put the turkey in the oven, you know, the breast, the legs basically have a little bit of a head start since there's always the challenge of roasting the legs yes. and roasting the breast and they don't cook in the same amount of time. Right. Um, I usually roast them separately or, you know, together mm-hmm. but separately because I never bring the turkey to the table to show it to everybody and then take it back in the kitchen and carve it. Um, you know, I usually just carve it and put it on a platter so nobody sees that they cook separately and that way I can cook everything at the same time. That is a great idea. That's a wonderful tip to take away. You don't have to to, uh, do it all together. Now, just a quick question. Do you use an electric carver or a carving knife? I just use a knife. I have a um, I have an electric slicer that my mother gave me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little afraid of it. Um, <laughs> yes. it's, um, it's a lot of noise and it goes really fast and it feels like um, a chainsaw. Yes. And, right. <laughs> no, no, I just use a you know a nice sharp knife. That is wonderful. Now about the fried turkey, I've never fried a turkey. What was that experience like? And was it a little scary? Does the grease pop out or, or how does that work? Well, the grease, as long as your turkey is dry when it goes in, and we, um, you know, I know a lot of people who do that outside. Um, we don't have outside here, and please don't tell our building inspectors <laughs> that we did this, but um, we actually did it inside, and it just so happened that a new product came out last year exactly in time you know we're cooking turkey in july basically is when we're working on our november issue sometimes it's june sometimes it's august but it's definitely the middle of the summer but a new uh deep fryer came out that was specifically designed for turkey so it's like oh well we'll try out the new product and we can also fry our turkey so we actually had a uh countertop turkey deep fryer that we got to fry it in. So it wasn't frightening at all. And I think it revolved. So the turkey was really, really beautifully cooked. I think it was actually everybody's favorite turkey. 
That sounds delicious. What fun. It sounds like such a fun place to work, Tina. At, it's at a pretty food great place wine. to be, I have to say. Oh, my goodness. And I, was, I have to say. Oh. But, you know, on our, on our website, I was just looking, and I couldn't believe it. We have 185 turkey recipes. No, wow. this is probably not all for a whole turkey, but there's too much to choose from sometimes. It's really yes. amazing. And great ideas like, for the leftovers because you're always like, what do I do with all of this turkey? So that's a exactly. great resource for what to do after Thanksgiving with all the turkey. And I love how food and wine has 17,000 recipes. Is that correct? 17? I, I think that's what I was asking them for something else. I was asking... Um, and they said that there's 17,000 recipes, about 17,000 recipes on our website. Wow. Um, is what I was told. I, we have a lot more because they just haven't, I think it only goes back to 1998. So I've been here for many years when, um, and those recipes aren't exactly represented online, but we have books that have them and we have, you know, of course we have all our old magazines here. Exactly. Um, on the shelf. So, oh, lots how of amazing stuff to choose from. It's actually now there are so many recipes everywhere you look that it's, um, I can see how it would be a little bit overwhelming and intimidating for a new cook. Yes. Um, you know, to be looking around for something and I can see why they would, you know, instantly gravitate towards the easiest, the easiest looking things there are. But, right. Um, <laughs> You know, I like to think that our recipes are the best, of course. Oh, of course, um, of course. <laughs> so I would encourage anybody to come our way. And um, fortunately, if you look for recipes on our website, there's a little, there, you know, there are little um, selects on the side. And, you know, you can look for things that are fast or, you know, done in under 45 minutes that are easy. That's great. And, um you know, there are thousands and thousands of those as well. We also, I should just mention that we, uh, you know, we have a significant book program that we do here, and we just came out with an awesome book. I just got it two days ago um, called Chef's Easy Weeknight Dinners. Oh. And, uh, you know, every recipe fits on one page and doesn't take up the page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the recipes are two or three steps, maybe some are four, and, um, you know, there's an image of the recipe opposite the recipe. So, um, you know, this was a very, very exciting book for us to do because it's, you know, a lot of people think, oh, chef's recipes are going to be so complicated. And we pride ourselves on making chef's recipes accessible since we work with so many chefs. But yes. this book was... And- I love, Tina, how you have the chef in residence. And, and listeners, there's a fun, fun video on the website which features the different chefs in residence. You have them, you know, blending at the cubicle and, and all of that. It's such a fun... Oh, when they did the takeover of our office. Yes. <laughs> That is great. But but you really do work, you know, with these wonderful chefs as well and collaborating on books and projects and articles, which is terrific. Well, we're very lucky because they always have to create. They always have to seek out new ingredients. They always have to um, find new techniques and clever ways with things that you know, we use all the time, so we are very, very fortunate to be there at their um, at their sleeves and um, you know on their coattails. And um, so, you know, that's why um, you know we really, really uh, learn every single day. Oh. Um, 
and it makes us all um, smarter food people and better cooks as well. That, so it, it keeps it really interesting and exciting because we're um, always learning. That is great. And, and speaking of chefs and, and those in the culinary field, who would you say has really inspired and influenced you the most in your in your career? You know, I'd have to start with my mentor, um, who's a woman named Anne Willen. You know, really everything I, you know, a lot of what I know, I you know, I owe to Anne because I was a work study student at Laverne many many years ago, and then I had the opportunity to work at the school. And I had the opportunity to work on cookbooks with Anne. So I learned about recipes and I learned about recipe writing and editing and everything about recipes and cookbooks. Um, way back when, you know, there weren't 3,500 cookbooks published in a year and um, there weren't millions of recipes popping up on the Internet every two seconds. So, you know, I just had an amazing, amazing education thanks to her and, um, you know, very, very, very serious classical French yes. training. So yes. she would be number one. Um, I had the great fortune of, well, I got to work with um, Julia Child and Aww. Marcella Hassan and Jacques Pépin and Paula Wolfert very, very, very closely um, for many years uh, doing a column with the four of them in rotation. And um, they were all incredibly, incredibly inspiring, mainly, I would say, in terms of sort of work ethic and um, dedication to craft and you know like Marcella would test her recipes six seven eight times wow um, until she felt that they were you know perfected to the point where she could actually put them in a book you know I think there are people who publish books now who maybe don't test their recipes or maybe they don't test every single one or you know it's easy to guess or deadlines are you know maybe deadlines are shorter or whatever but um, you know there was none of them ever cut any corners Hmm. in terms of um, you know getting it right and um, that was very 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 inspiring Um, and they also never missed a deadline Mm. which is Amazing. Yes. And, um, you know, I learned, you know, just so much from each one of them. Oh. Um, so I would say that's my posse of five, oh. if I could only pick five. <laughs> and what wonderful picks. And, and it was such a delight to have Anne Willen on Kitchen Chat and hear the Laverne oh, so stories. Great. Oh, just so lovely. And with Julia Child, oh my goodness, what? Special memory. What is your most treasured memory with Julia Child? Oh, well, let's see. I have a few, but I guess the the one I always think about and that gives me just the hugest um, chuckle. uh, Well, uh, I I cooked in her kitchen with her. (gasps) And, um, you know, there's nothing more terrifying than asking Julia to make you to make her dinner like well let's just could you just make make a little dinner for us and I was like okay what would you like me to do and she said oh just roast a chicken well you know roasting a chicken Jacques Pepin would say that you know he, he when he was testing out cooks he would have them um roast a chicken and make a salad with vinaigrette as easy as roasting a chicken is, it can be absolutely terrifying and intimidating. <laughs> so that's, you know, one thing I think about. And another is um, sometimes when we would go up and shoot in Julia's house, um, I would stay over at her house. And oh. um, being woken up by Julia Childs was quite an experience. 
you know, because she had her booming voice and, <laughs> you know, she's very uh, tall and to have her leaning over the bed, um, <laughs> waking you up was, you know, I, I think about that often. Very, very, very amusing and <laughs> thrilling and, um, you know, those are probably two of my favorite Julia oh. things. I, they don't directly relate to food and I guess the third one would be also doesn't relate to food but they were busy shooting downstairs and I think she was trying to get rid of me for a few minutes and she told me to go upstairs into one of the rooms in their house where um, they kept all of Paul's photographs and I just oh. sat on the bed I for what must have been an hour and a half and just went through boxes and boxes of the most amazing photographs I've ever seen in my life so oh. that was a huge treat Oh, how special. And did she ever cook for you? Um, no. No? I mean, she cooked when, you know, if we were photographing a story. Right, it right. It was her food that, well, you know, but there were food stylists there and other people helping. So she actually did. I've never had her, no, actually cook for me, no. Oh, and. I've eaten with her, but. No, I mean, I'd eaten at her kitchen table that wow. um, chicken, which I guess I it was okay because we continued to work together for many years <laughs> after that. So I must sure. have passed the test. But um, oh, how special! And did she ever talk about any special traditions that she had for the holidays? Well, I yes, but it's not food related. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you anyway. Sure. Um, sure. We actually got to do a story on it many years ago. She and Paul were not um, Christmas card senders, mm-hmm. but they would send uh, Valentine cards. Oh. And they would make a Valentine card with the two of them, something to do with the two of them. I think there are a couple of them in her book that they actually um, photographed. And they were usually very humorous, but sometimes it was sort of the, I remember one that was the two of them in a bathtub, um, <laughs> you know, on either end of a bathtub. And, you know, it had some very, very sweet saying. And, Aww. you know, sometimes, um, you know, they were just decorated. But those um, those Valentine cards were very, very adorable. Oh, that... I know they've been published elsewhere as well, but... Um, that's the only tradition I I mean I'm sure when she celebrated with her family even though she didn't have kids um you know she had family which is very very close to right, uh, right so I'm sure she celebrated with them oh that- I think we did um we did a christmas dinner at her house oh many many years ago that um you know might have been the time she came you know when I was sleeping there when she came to wake me up <laughs> Um, How fun! But, you know, it was for a story, so you right, know, it wasn't. Right. It wasn't as if it was a real uh, dinner that she was having that we were photographing. Oh, but how special! What treasured moments with Julia? That is. That is just so neat. Thank you for for sharing that. And Tina, I want to make sure I get to the listeners' questions. They have been just oh, sure. emailing, texting, all of that. Uh, Justin says, what do you think about the growth of canning with high-end restaurants doing their own canning? And he also asks, is braising the next big culinary thing in cooking? Oh, well, those are two very good questions. Let's see. Well, I think it's awesome if restaurants are preserving the harvest um, and canning and pickling. You know, I think it's fantastic. And I'm sure they're using uh, great peak season fruit and or vegetables and 
I guess, well, I guess you can beat. Um, so, you know, I think that's awesome. Of course, chefs everywhere are making their own condiments. It's a way of, uh, you know, putting their own stamp on what they're doing. So, um, you know, it's great to have a larder that you can draw from that's a larder that, um, you know, is bespoke that, you know, you basically created. Yeah. Um, braising, I, I think braising should be in everybody's repertoire because it's easy mm-hmm. um, and uh, low and slow takes care of itself. You know, I don't know. I think there are so many of the sort of international dishes from around the world that are braised and it, you know, is basically the one and only, well, I would say the best way to cook all of the um, slow cooking tougher mm-hmm. cuts of meat or bonier cuts of meat. So, you know, braising basically opens the world to to getting tenderness and a huge amount of flavor and incredible sauces that, you know, you certainly don't get if you are roasting or cooking by any other high heat method. And a great benefit to, in restaurants anyway, to bracing is um, you can brace things in advance. So it takes the pressure off of all of the other minute cooking that they also have to do. Oh, that sounds great. Thank you, Justin. And Sharon, who is actually the uh, co-president of Chicago Gourmets, ask, what is the next emerging growth area geographically for boutique wines? Um, uh, for great value in French wine, look to wines from the Loire. Hmm. And I would also say that in our um, November issue, since we were just talking about it, yes, um, we have a really fun a wine map of new producers in the U.S. So they're standout bottles from the New America. You know, we did this thing called the Great American Wine Challenge. So they're wines from uh, once unpromising states like um, Arizona, New York, huh. and Virginia. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, you know, that we celebrate. Yeah. So, you know, those are fun. And I, I believe our entire uh, November issue is online already. Great. I believe. I might be wrong, but um, I know it's out in the world. Terrific. And she also asked, Sharon also asked, do you see farm and table or farm, yeah, farm to table as a trend or a long-term lifestyle choice for both dining in and out? Extremely long. Like, I don't, I don't think you can put the genie back in the bottle. Okay. Um, you know, I think we will be, um, hopefully, I mean, I, I can't imagine going backwards. I, the, um, you know, the thing we always say to chefs, um, like, oh, you know, how they try to distinguish themselves and they're trying to pitch us a story and they're like, well, we're farm to table. <laughs> and we're like, honey, everybody is farm to table now. Everybody who has the good fortune of having a farm nearby. Right. You know, it's not as if there aren't, you know, more food deserts than we would like to recognize. And it's not as if there isn't, you know, hunger in every city and, you know, right outside your front door. Right. But as far as, you know, looking to buy produce as close to the source as possible and celebrating produce as source, as close to the source as possible, I can't imagine we would ever 
um, you know, I hope that's a lifetime for perpetuity choice. Right. On Ex- all of our parts. Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, I think farmers are the new rock stars. So, yeah, I love know, farmers that. Farmers and artisans, <laughs> or at least as far as we're concerned, they are. I love that. And, farmers uh, are the new rock stars. I love that. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they are, along with the chefs, of course, you know, but so, yes. Well, you know, we're so happy, like even in our food artisan story to be able to celebrate farmers which you know we don't we don't get to do that often but um no I mean I think they you know in farmers markets they've all sort of raised the quality um I think they've raised our quality of life period I mean not just made our food better and our cooking better and hopefully our health better but I think um you know they've made our lives better that and I didn't, when that. I was growing up, um, you know, salmon was still seasonal, but, you know, we didn't have, if I couldn't go down the, if I go to Whole Foods, maybe not at my standard, standard grocery store, but if I go down the aisle at Whole Foods, I can point out to my daughter all the things we didn't have when I was growing up. And right. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, it, you know, it just expanded. I mean, not the air you know, having things flown in and whatever else hasn't expanded it. But I think, um, you know, given the choice, at least for the majority of our constituency, you know, if given the choice of a, of a carrot that was flown in from California (laughs) or a carrot that was grown in your neighbor's backyard, you know, I don't, I would be loath to find the person who would pick the the carrot that was flown in from California. <laughs> exactly. But yes, I think it's here to stay. Here to stay. Yay. That is great news. Elaine asks, what are your two to three go-to spices that she should add in her own cooking? You know, unfortunately, it all depends on, um, you know, sort of what you like. I um, cook with a lot of chili, but I mean, Hmm. I say chili is like a big, big family. So that can be anything from um, paprika and crushed red pepper to Aleppo pepper or pimenton, either hot pimenton, which is a smoked Spanish paprika, Hmm. smoky Spanish paprika, or, um, um, you know, and then there are all the, um, you know, the Mexican peppers, whether it's ancho or um, chipotle or all the others. I mean, it's just a flavor. Maybe it's because I'm Hungarian. It yes. all started with paprika. Yes. But, um, you know, that whole range of peppers, you know, down, you know, there's a French pepper that's very popular now called Piment d'Espelette. Hmm. Um, you know, it's very expensive. It's a little bit spicy. And it comes from the Basque country. But there are all those, you know, wonderful um, Turkish and Middle Eastern peppers. And, you know, I like harissa, and, but that's not a spice. Hmm. So that would be one. Um, again, I really like cumin. So I cook with quite a bit of cumin. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, I cook with herbs. Like I cook with a lot of fresh herbs. It's not really a spice. Um, I guess my third spice would be salt and pepper. Salt and pepper. Um, I think you actually can't cook without salt and pepper. <laughs> now, what um, kind of salt? Because there seem to be so many types of salt these days. The Himalayan or the kosher or the sea salt. What What do you like to to use? Yeah, well, um, you know, we did a story recently on uh, salt that I believe hasn't run yet. And huh. we got to taste so many salts. <laughs> So now I fall in love with smoked salt oh. because I um, it just has a mild 
uh, smoky flavor. I love the one like from the Maine Sea Salt Company. Hmm. Um, but they're, you know, I think every, I think almost every state by now, not every state, but they're most coastal states, if not all coastal states, are making their own salt. So there's so much American salt happening now. Wow. But, you know, I love Fleur de Sel from France. Uh-huh. I love, um, you know, I use kosher salt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I usually have a big, big box of kosher salt because sometimes I bake fish in it. Um, sometimes I roast vegetables in it. Um, so fortunately, it's not very expensive. It comes in a big box and it's a clean tasting salt. Hmm. The one salt I hardly ever use anymore is um, fine table salt. I just find that I don't use it, which is really unfortunate because I have some very nice salt shakers and oh. I can't use them. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, yeah, that's there's so many variations of salt for sure. One thing that, sell, that Chicago is definitely celebrating, Tina, is the fact that the James Beard Awards are going to be held here in 2015, <laughs> which we're just so excited. And, and, um, well, we're excited, too, because it means we get to come to Chicago. Yes, and I can't wait to see you in Chicago and welcome, welcoming you here. But that prompted the question for Nina, who is very curious to 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 see to hear your thoughts about how Chicago compares to New York City and Las Vegas and Miami uh, in regards to the dining do you do you feel that um, Chicago has really uh, become more visible in the culinary world and um, even more respected recently oh absolutely for we myopic New Yorkers. Um, <laughs> You know, Chicago is right there at the top. You have so many awesome chefs. Um, You have such a wide variety of styles. Um, You know, I've had the good fortune to eat in Chicago a few times. And um, it's amazing. Yes. You know, I think um, I I don't think of, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Chicago is on par with any other top dining destination in the United States. Yes, and thank you for recognizing that. That's so exciting to hear. Absolutely. I mean, we recognize that, I think, in every single issue that we publish. Yes. Matter of fact, we have that really um, counterintuitive story with Grant Ackett in our (laughs) November issue, Ah. where he is wearing a... A nice little, um, uh, a girly apron, I have to say. <laughs> um, it's turquoise and it has flowers on it. Aww. And he's making recipes using a slow cooker. Oh, so, fun! That so, would be a there fun you have article. it. But yes. really, hardly an issue. I don't think an issue goes by when we don't feature somebody who we are just mad about from Chicago. Oh, good. Well, it's going to be fun, and I know going to it's going to be different to have the James Beard Awards here in Chicago versus New York. But we're just so excited in Chicagoland to be hosting hosting that. So this will be. Really fun. Um, and then another uh, question came in from uh, Chef Jamie Larita, who is living in Chicago. And he was just wondering what you think about the future of the, I guess, the competitive food shows and cooking. He, for, to him, it's all about eating and not competing. And he was just wondering what you see as the, the outlook for that and what your thoughts were. I agree with him that it is about eating and sharing table with people and celebrating being at the table. 
you know, I, I think all those competition shows are, you know, they're entertainment. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, people, I think people watch them for the entertainment value, just like they would watch any other, um, you know, competition. Um, I, don't, I don't watch a lot of television, so I can't... Um, draw perfect analogies, but, um, you know, I, I think it's entertainment value. I think if you can learn something at the same time while you're mm-hmm. being entertained, it's awesome. But I think, you know, even just, um, yeah, it's entertainment. It just happens to have, you know, be food related. I mean, I've seen a couple of cooking shows that were just, you know, absolutely beyond ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's it's just, you know, it, it's about entertainment. Yeah. Um, it's funny yeah. because, you know, I didn't grow up watching the Food Network, but I've talked to a lot of people who, you know, said when they were growing up that the the television was always on and it was always turned to the food channel. So they just grew up around food. Right. Um, you know, that's a new concept to me. Yes. But um, yes. I do, I'll just go back to Julia for a second um, and how uh, uh, forward thinking she always was. I remember mm. we just happened to be doing a shoot at her house when um, the people who were starting the Food Network came to ask her what they thought of her idea, of the what she thought of the idea of a 24-hour food channel. Hmm. And, um, you know, she just thought it was the most amazing idea. She thought it was going to be fantastic. She thought it would be just, just wonderful. Um, and if it could happen in her lifetime, she would just, you know, be thrilled. And oh. then they asked me, and I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. <laughs> I can't imagine people being, you know, I can't imagine there being enough of a viewing public. So, you know, what do I know? But it was, you know, that was another thing about Julia was, you know, she was always looking ahead and always just thinking that there was, you know, so much more to happen in this um you know, industry and so many more people to get excited about cooking who hadn't been as enthusiastic about it as they, as they could have been or should have been. So anyway, you know what, if it brings, if it brings some aspect of food or cooking into somebody's life or it makes them, if it, you know, ignites a little bit of the spark, then it's great. It's, I mean, I guess maybe we can't judge how, how you get there. Right. Um, right. You know, it's the, you know, the fact that you get there. So, yes. and it's, um, but, you know, the, mm-hmm. compet- the competition is just, you know, it's, it's for fun. I'm not really into competition. So, I mean, just personally. So, right. but I know that from, um, you know, from online promotions we've done and from the things we do in Aspen, I know, um, you know, at our Aspen food and wine yes. festival that we host every summer, um, I know we do a Ready, Set, Cook, which is an old show by now, or we used to do a Ready, Set, Cook, and mm-hmm. that was always one of the most popular events where, you know, there's a competition and, you know, you can see whether, you know, Jacques Pepin, you know, beats Thomas <laughs> Keller or something like that. Um Oh. But, you know, it's more for the entertainment value, I think, than for anything else. Well, this is so, I've just learned so much through this kitchen chat, Tina. I've had so much fun with you. And I, I, I'm so excited about the great resource that Food and Wine magazine has both online and in print and, and all the great events that you're sponsoring. I saw something about a Barbados event coming up. Is that right? Oh, food yeah, and- we do that. <laughs> I, we have, I'm, I don't even know, I probably misquote it, but I think there are 25 of them that we are involved in around the country with um, Aspen being the big kahuna yes. and I believe Pebble Beach right behind. 
Oh, well, that is just so much fun. And, and listeners, I'm going to make sure I have a link to food and wine so you can get the online resource and you can check into um, subscribing online or, or in print. Also to, to follow Tina, you are on Twitter and Instagram. Is that right, Tina? Yeah, just at Tina Ulaki. That's great. And so we'll also put... I, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, apropos Instagram, we have this Instagram campaign that we're doing, oh. um, which is um, for that anybody can participate in. You should um, take your fall pictures, photographs, um, anything that says fall. It, it can be food. It doesn't have to be food. Um, and if you tag them, hashtag this is fall, um, oh. our online team will be picking winners to be featured on the food and wine feed. How fun. So hashtag this is fall. I can't wait to see some of uh, the photos submitted. And, and thank you so much, Tina, for, for sharing about how we can create and uh, our own traditions uh, at home with, with the holiday season and, and bringing those to the table. And, and thanks for all that you do at, at Food and Wine and all that you do to promote cooking and the joy of cooking. Truly, you truly bring that to the table, Tina. And I'm just so honored and delighted to have you on Kitchen Chat. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, that's what we're all about. We just want everybody to get in the kitchen and have a good time and, you know, share lovely meals with their friends and their family and, um, you know, just to come together. Especially at this time of year, but really all year long. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for joining me once again here in my kitchen. It's so great to connect with you. And during this busy time, this busy season of the year, remember to take a moment and savor the day. Thanks for joining Margaret for Kitchen Chat today. Margaret would be so excited for you to drop by and visit with her at kitchenchat.info, where you'll enjoy podcasts, blogs, recipes, tips from chefs, and even great giveaways. She invites you to share your recipes and kitchen stories, too. As Margaret always says, savor the day.